Good morning, brothers and sisters and, and friends. I hope that you all are, are doing well this morning. We welcome you and so glad that you are here with us. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12 and uh, follow along. We'll be reading there in just uh, a few moments from verse 14. The scripture will be up on the screen. You can follow there. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. We've been in Exodus for a while, and we will be in Exodus for a long while uh, yet. Exodus chapter 12, as I said last week, is, is, is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Probably the most important chapter of, in, in all of the Old Testament, but the most, one of the most important chapters in, in all the Bible. And I, I told you all last week, I think it's number three on the list of being the most important events in all of salvation history, and, and I kind of wonder if y'all figured it out, thought about that and thought about it. Uh, the first, I would say, would be the incarnation of Christ. The second would be the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And the third, I think, would be there the, the Passover, which soon will be uh, trumped when Christ comes back, right? Certainly that would be far greater than, than this. But here in chapter 12, the Lord has given to his people his commands on the how and the when and the where of how and the when the where of the Passover, how to observe the Passover. And in this chapter, like in talking about it, we, we unpack some details that on the surface necessarily wouldn't be there, but if you think about the text and understand the text, why would God have to command Israel to sacrifice a lamb and spread blood over their doorposts so that God would pass over them, and that is because they too were guilty of their sin. And guilty of sin requires a righteous and holy judgment of God, and in that God is showing them that they not only are sinful, but they also cannot save themselves. They could not save themselves. They couldn't deliver themselves, and so the the Lord was showing them and showing us they couldn't deliver themselves. Their greatest enemy was, was not the Egyptians. The greatest enemy was not the world around them. Their greatest enemy was not Egypt. Our greatest enemy is not Egypt. It's not the world around us either. Our biggest enemy, Israel's biggest enemy, was their own sin themselves, right? That is their biggest enemy. All are in Adam, and in Adam all die. All are guilty of sin, and we all deserve death, right? The very simple passage we've been quoting for the last several weeks from Romans, for the wages of sin is death now and always. But God, but praise God, he provided a substitute, right? That's where the, the centerpiece, right? The centerpiece of the Passover is the lamb. The lamb was given, right, this, to find this pure and spotless lamb and then take its sacrifice and take its blood and, and cover the doorpost. Like, and, and this is to remind us as well, I, don't, I didn't say this last week, but, but also to remember that sin is ugly. And the requirement of the forgiveness of sin is ugly. It requires the, the shedding of blood of a pure and spotless lamb. And ultimately, as we know, the Passover lamb points to Christ, who God provides as another sacrifice, as the substitute, capital S, substitute. His very own son who fulfills the Passover so that our guilt is removed. And we're not like and we're not like Israel that night anymore, are we? We're not huddled up in our houses and waiting for judgment to pass over. Because the Lamb of God has come and he has been sacrificed once and for all. And as Christ said himself on the cross, it is finished. And so then we come, we come as we come by faith, trusting in him, relying on him, relying on his work, the work of his blood for the forgiveness of sin. And though we still feel the weight of sin, we still feel the weight of sin in our own lives, we, we feel the, the burden of the weight of sin around us, we still live in such a fallen world, 
And as I said last week, we remember and we celebrate still the cross. And that gives us so much to rejoice in and to be thankful for. And that brings us to our passage this morning. So look at Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading, like I said, in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel in the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go outside the door of your houses until morning. For the Lord will pass over to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel, And on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, and he will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land of the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the Lord bowed their heads, and the people, excuse me, bowed their heads, and they worshipped. And then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And this is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy inspired an inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. I said last week, at the last, at the end, that there is a need for us to repeat and remember, and this is why we, we often take the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper each, uh, each month. And in that, and as, we, as they were commanded to repeat and remember the Passover God has given to us, not only the Lord's Supper, but other things symbolically to remember him, right? Things that occur and happen throughout the year that we would remember. So definitely we talked about the, the Lord's Supper, and as our church, we take it about 12 times a year. There's also other things that God has, has given to us. He's given to us, built into our calendars, days of remembrance and celebration such as Christmas and Good Friday and Resurrection Day. There's other natural things that cause remembrance. I, I always like to think the changing of the seasons reminds me of, of the Lord, particularly this time of the year, of spring, when there is a restoration and renewal. It shows the beauty and goodness of God that one day he will make all things new. And then praise God other, for other things, for, for special occasions, such as weddings and Reformation Day. We, we, we celebrate Reformation Day together, or recognize it. And praise God for all of those things that we get to celebrate, and we get to remember and 
memorialize in each other's lives. And did you know that even today, even today being May 7th, is a day of memorial. It's a day of remembrance. And that is, on, the sun, on every Sunday when we gather, the Lord has banked in the celebration and the remembrance of the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 6i, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now that's something to celebrate, right? I mean, I mean that's something we are, we are looking forward to in that resurrection like his. And so today, built right into the calendar of being just a seemingly another Sunday, as Christians we know, it's not just another Sunday because it is Sunday. It's the day that we, we gather to recognize and celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are reminded in our gathering of that. And that's why we, we gather. That's why we need to gather every single week. We have to gather. Because throughout the rest of the week, what's, what's happening to us? What's, I know what's happening to me, and that as I am, I am just bombarded by a raging world that wants to mess me up like the rest of them. We have a raging world that wants to drag me into their filth. I have a flesh, I have a, a temptation in my own sinful nature that wants, to, that wants to be dragged into that as well. And so God each week says, he just brings me back, man, because it's Sunday. He's banked in for us to remember when we are tempted and we are discouraged. He infuses into our minds and our hearts and our souls, even through this calendar, that we are a people that need to be redeemed. And he shows us each Sunday how he has redeemed us. He shows us how we need each other's presence. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, that is the day of judgment when Christ comes back, drawing near. We need this gathering. We need each other. We need each other's love. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. We need each other's singing. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in in, in all wisdom. So here's a, a list of things that we do for each other. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We need each other's, we need to be, we need each other's prayers. James 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We need each other's encouragement. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So why is God built into our schedules every single week, this day of remembrance and this day of celebration? Because as we follow Jesus, we need to keep learning the same things over and over and over again. We need to be reminded and rehearsing and encouraging one another of the good news of the gospel. And the reason is with all of that bombardment, with all of that temptation, with all of that physical fatigue, we forget the gospel. We forget it. We need to be 
reminded. And we, when we learn these lessons, then we are brought back on, brought back in track. And what I think is amazing is then that we begin to remember, oh, I've learned that before. And in this passage this morning, just as we have read, the Lord builds within the nation of Israel, right within their culture. I mean, just like digs it right into their culture. The very fabric of who they are, of, of their calendar, is this culture of remembrance. Remember the Passover. Remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Keep it for generations. Keep it forever. And so from this passage... I want to give you two points about remembrance and what uniquely this text is reminding us about what to remember. So first in, in verse 14 through 20, which is the first part, the Lord commands them to observe the feast of unleavened bread. Now, in fact, if you look at verse 14, you sort of see the theme kind of shout out right there at the beginning, right? It says, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep this feast, or keep, keep it as a feast to the Lord. Now, it would seem that, that in chapter 12, in verses 1 through 13, it's telling us about the Passover, and then it's telling us about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and, and maybe these are totally two separate events, and in some ways they are. They are two different feasts, and celebrations, but they are also two, two feasts that are inseparable of each other because they, they go right along with one another. And both of them, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, are to be memorialized as the same overall event of the Exodus, right? So the Passover is the remembrance of the deliverance from death right? The deliverance from the death, the destroyer that was going to pass, that was going to come, and if they didn't have the blood on the doors and the lentils, then, then they would not pass over them. But if they did, would pass over, right? So that's celebrating the deliverance from, from death, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread is this remembrance of this hasty departure from, from slavery out of Egypt. Now this is a seven-day feast, right, that, that, that begins on Passover, it begins on Passover, the 14th day of the first month, and it lasts for seven days. And we'll get to those details in just a minute. But, but why? Well, it's given as a, it says there in verse 14, as a memorial. And as a memorial, this, this work, this feast of unleavened bread connected with the Passover is telling us that this, this memorial is connected to the redemptive acts of the Lord. It's connected with, with the Lord redeeming his people. And why? To strengthen their faith and remembering the things of God. When we remember the things of God, just naturally, like I was just saying, when we gather on Sunday mornings, just naturally, if you're in, the, if you're in Christ, you're going to be encouraged because you're being strengthened in the faith just by, grab, just by gathering. And here, by remembering, God is strengthening their faith. Now, when we think of the word memorial, we think of the capital M, Memorial Day, right, which is, which is coming up, and that's the, the setting apart of, of, of uh, um, uh, it's a day that to remember those and, and recognize those who have died in the service and defending our country. Now, the concept is the same, but the, the reason or the purpose is totally different. This was a remembrance, a memorializing of God's work. And specifically, God's work to fulfill his promises. Remember, these promises go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 15, and even all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And he tells them to memorialize because he's saving his people. And, just, and because just, just as the goodness and mercy and grace of God that he has done in our lives, brothers and sisters, can often grow cold. So will it in Israel. And you know, this is interesting, I, that throughout the whole Old Testament, covers the span of thousands of years, and there are only six 
recorded times that Israel observes the Passover. Six recorded times. And they're supposed to have the Passover every year. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't, right? They did. They certainly did. But we do know from the text that there was hundreds of, there were times that for hundreds of years they neglected the Passover and several other feasts. And so they forgot. And so can we. So can we forget. And this is why the Lord is so clear. He's clear in this text as Jesus was clear in the upper room to us to do this in remembrance of him. And so how does the Lord tell them to, tell them to uh, memorialize this event? Well, event? well, he lists out specifically in verses 15 through 20. The details of the, the Feast of, the, of Unleavened Bread, right? So uh, verses 1 through 13 give a very detailed list of how to observe the Passover. Later, excuse me, in the text, Moses is going to command what God tells them in verses 21 through 28. But here are the 10 specific rules on how to observe the Feast of Unleavened, unleavened Bread. In verse 15, for seven days you will eat unleavened bread. So no bread will have any kind of rise in it, right? There will be no yeast in the bread. And the reason is, again, because in the haste of leaving Egypt, who has time to wait for the bread to rise? And it was symbolic to them. On the first day, God commands them to remove all the leaven from their houses. Get rid of all of it, right? Every little bit, so, so that you would prevent any kind of accidental use or any kind of rise in the bread. Get rid of all of it. And you see that this command is, is so serious there in verse 18 of, of getting, or getting rid of all the leaven, verse 18, and not eating of any leaven is what? It says whatsoever in those seven days, if you have any leaven or if you eat any leaven, then what happens? You will be cut off. That, that's a pretty serious consequence to be cut off from the rest of the people. And so for seven days, they're to have no leaven. Verse 16, on the first and the seventh, on the first and the seventh day, they shall hold a solemn or a, a holy assembly, which is when all the people gather in a way, and they set this day apart as a special and holy day. Boy, does that sound familiar. Every seven days. And so it says, there will be no work done on those days because these days are set apart for the Lord. And so these days, these particular days are set apart because God is saying, I am going to get your attention. This day is fully devoted to me. You are to be completely focused on this memorial event. And then verse 17, the Lord commands uh, them to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And why? Why does he command them to observe it? Right? Again, because as the Lord says, on this very day, I have brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. What's this, now, what's interesting about this particular time, especially here in Exodus chapter 12, is that God hasn't done this yet. But he's about to. He's commanding them to observe something that he hasn't himself even done yet. And he's saying, observe this throughout the generations forever as a memorial. As a memorial in remembrance. I wasn't at the Battle of Gettysburg on July 1st through the 3rd, 1863. I did not witness with my own eyes the Battle of Culp's Farm the skirmishes through the center of town, the carnage at Devil's Den, Little Round Top, or witness Pickett's Charge from Seminary Ridge. But I've been to Gettysburg, and I saw the monuments, and I saw the memorials. I stood over Seminary Ridge and looked over upon the fields to the, to the Union battle lines. I've stood on Little Round Top, and I've looked down on Devil's Den, and I felt the chills knowing of the hundreds of men who were cut down in just that one spot. I could picture it. I could 
remember it. I can remember the significance of that battle, and I could almost see the carnage or hear the carnage and the humanity in those days. Being there, I was not there, and being there, though, memorialized the significance of that battle and of that event in my mind. And that's what this feast was to be, a a memorial, a statute forever to remember what the Lord has done. And then in verses 18 through 20, he gives us the last three instructions, and they pretty much are a a summary of what we've already heard, but in particular, verse 19, he tells us that this, this law of the feast is binding to all. You see that? That even if they are a sojourner or a native of the land. Now, now that's just a, a, a quick overview uh, uh, there, and, and, and there is certainly more, and there's some significance that you can, you can draw in and out of, but like I did last week, I want to focus in on the, the main instruction, the whole point of the feast, the feast of unleavened bread, right? Remember the center of the Passover was the, the lamb and the blood of the lamb, and the center of the unleavened bread is right in the name, and that is the unleavened bread. And as we've already said, the bread represents the, the haste of leaving Israel. You read that in, in, in Deuteronomy. We read that here. It represents the haste of, of leaving Egypt. But I think there is more at play here because the scripture helps us understand. So though not explicitly told to us in Exodus chapter 12, Jewish teachers understood that the yeast that was required in the leavening bread is symbolic in the uh, the corrupting power of sin. So the seventh day, or the, the first day all the way to the seventh day, they were to gather for this holy assembly, right? And it was marked as the holy day, right? The holy day starts of the, the feast. And at that point, I've already said it, right? What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to get rid of all the leaven from their houses, to clean it all out. So there would be no chance that there would be any yeast or leaven that can get into the dough. And why would yeast or leaven be such a a good representation of sin? And the reason is, is because um, yeast is is a living organism. And when you put it into dough, it begins to grow. It finds a happy home in dough. And it begins to grow and it begins to spread as it, as it ferments the dough, which causes the dough to get excited and to rise. I don't really know if it gets excited, but it certainly, or shimmies or anything, but it certainly does rise. This is not technical language that my wife has shared to me about cooking. I honestly have never made bread in my life, but that's what I've come to understand. But the Bible puts it like this when it talks about sin. And James chapter 1, verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it fully grown, brings forth death. Right? So we, again, we see the, the outcome of sin is is death, but we also see here that sin is always trying to, to grow and, and spread and, and get you excited and grow and you and, and then it reaches through every part of our lives. It gets into our hearts, into our mouths, into our souls, and throughout our bodies. And that yeast or that leaven of sin corrupts us completely. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus confirms this confirms this illustration is correct because he uses leaven as an example. He says, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And, and what's, what's leaven? It's their, their sin, and particularly their sin of hypocrisy, of saying one thing, you need to be doing this, and their lives completely nowhere near reflecting the, the things that they are teaching. That's the leaven of hypocrisy, Sin. 
And yet, if you turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, go ahead, turn with me. You can do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul uses the same imagery once again for sin. The church in Corinth had some issues. In particular, is now addressed in chapter 5. There was outward sin that was being tolerated and even excused for here in chapter 5, and Paul goes right after them. Verse 1, it's a form of a, of a, of a deviant, deviant sexual immorality. You can read it exactly what it is right there. It is such a sin that, that, that should cause the church to, to mourn over. But instead, it was tolerated. And seems like it was accepted. It says that they, were to rem- they should have removed those who were committing such an egregious sin. Verse 2. And so clearly this chapter is about sin. And the necessity of church discipline on how to handle church discipline and sin within the church. The church should not tolerate open, unrepentant sin. You see that in verses 3 through 5. But hear what the Apostle Paul says in verse 6. Your boasting is not good, meaning boasting in their sin. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So, so minds of, 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 our, of our Bible scholars and our Bible readers, we just read Exodus chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, ding, 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 red flags are going off. There's a connection here. There's a link here of the leaven. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So here's the illustration. Just the, the, the toleration of just, a, of just a little bit of sin. Just say, little bit of leaven. So those who cook, you you only need a little bit of leaven to pull off the the mother loaf, right? And throw it into the the dough for it to spread, right? To to corrupt all of it. And and that's what's being said, right? Again, sin spreads and grows throughout the whole body. Meaning, individually, our sin, we think it's just personal, it just affects me. It doesn't. Man, that's a, that's a lie. It affects, it affects all of us. That's, what, that's the warning here that Paul has given. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole bunch. And which is why Paul has to address this problem. In verse 7, because the problem isn't just the sin, the problem is the toleration of it. Verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven. Hmm, that sounds a lot like Exodus chapter 12. That, that you may know, may be, excuse me, be a new lump as you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. I mean, really, we could just, just stop right there for a moment. Again, the link, right? Bing, bing, bing. They're just like bouncing back and forth from Exodus chapter 12 to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread cleanse out the old leaven. Get rid of all the leaven out of your homes. Be a new lump. Be the new lump. That doesn't sound too great, but hey, we'll be it. A new people, which is this, this new people in this, by this new law, in this new calendar, in this new covenant, into this new land. And the declaration as, as God's people is this, is that you, by the work of Christ, are unleavened. You're unstained by the, by the sin. You're much pure. You become now the, the righteousness of Christ. And we are to be holy and pure and uncorrupted by the sins of the world. Why would we take other lumps of leaven and try to corrupt what God has done? And the answer, or, or at least the question is why, right? How does all this happen? How have we become this, this, this new lump, as Paul says? And the answer is right there in the text. It's because of Jesus Christ, the, the perfect Passover lamb who was sacrificed. 
He is our Passover lamb. There's none other, and there will be no other. Praise God. Verse 8, let us therefore celebrate, remember, memorialize the festival. What's the festival? The festival of the, the good news, of the work of the gospel, and the life of the church. What we remember and celebrate every single time we, we come together on Sundays. Not with old leaven. We're not boasting in our sin. The leaven of malice and, and evil, which is the all manner of sin. But with what? The unleavened, as he says, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these verses to the church in Corinth is not mere moralism. Paul does not say, that's not who we are. We don't do that. We don't do those things. We're better than that. You can do better. He doesn't say that. That's moralism. That's that's morality, and even morality in a, in a Christian form for the sake of just being moral is not the gospel. The people of God, the church, are holy and righteous. Why? Because of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed. By his sacrificial atonement on the cross, and because of that, then, as the church, sin no longer shall reign in us. Do not let old leaven corrupt you. Old leaven is no longer who you are. That's the gospel. And therefore, if you are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. And so in this memorial of leaven and unleavened bread to the church, we are to learn, as we see from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that let's not look back to the old leaven, but look forward and look toward the Passover lamb. It is good for us to, to remember our salvation that Christ has accomplished. But we also must remember that, that we have been saved to the glory of God to be holy. To be holy. Remember, a little leaven can, can leaven the whole bunch. So therefore, brothers and sisters, always, always, always be sweeping the leaven out of your hearts before it has a chance to grow and to spread. Older saints warn these younger saints of how fast sin can spread. Warn them of the danger. Be the, be the blinking light in their blind spot to show them how easily a little leaven can spoil the whole bunch. Is there sin in your life that you are tolerating? That you are allowing to live in the cupboard of your own heart? Is there a grudge or a bitterness? Some lust or anger or pride? Is it something maybe you've, you've learned to, to excuse and live with because it really seems like it's not that big of a deal? If these are the, the kinds of excuses that you have made to yourself, brother or sister, then you are in spiritual danger. You are in spiritual, spiritual danger because sin, like yeast, once it gets growing and spreads, it corrupts. And so may I encourage you this morning to quickly confess your sin to the Lord and ask him how to show you the paths of repentance. And find another brother or sister to help you in that repentance. The Lord has given us providential times and moments like this to remember and to memorialize the things in the gospel so that we would repent and follow him. And by grace, we would pursue holy and pure lives before Christ. Who would have thought unleavened bread would show us so much?
and remind us of so much. And that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is remembering leads us to the joy of obedience to the Word of God. And that joyful obedience is where we will truly find flourishing. Now the second half of our passage, verses 21 through 28, Moses turns to the people and he he relays to the people what what the Lord had commanded him about the Passover. And so in, in brief summary, we see first in verse 21, Moses turns to the elders and we see here how the elders are responsible for the worship of the people. And he, he tells these elders and he instructs them to oversee and encourage each family in their worship in the Passover. Now certainly there's quite a bit of significance there, but we're turning to verse 22. We hear the specific structure of the Passover once again. How was the blood to be covered of the doors? He tells us. He says how the people are to, to stay inside and That's a really important detail. (laughs) Don't go outside. Stay inside. Verse 23, here's another piece of importance, right? We hear that the Lord himself will execute judgment on Egypt. And we've already dealt with God's sovereignty and his his right to to judge according to to his will. But yet again, here in Exodus chapter 12, that, that the Lord is showing us through Moses that God in his sovereign decree that he is working, that he is in the work of the destroyer, and therefore, brothers and sisters, we must confront with, be confronted with this truth of God's righteous judgment over sin and his mercy to distinguish between his people and Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. Very important verse there in verse 23. Verse 24, Moses rightly commands them, right, to do what? Keep the Passover right for them and to observe it forever, right? He's re- this repetition. What do we know about repetition in the text? It doesn't mean skip over it. Repetition in the text means listen up and remember. And he's telling us to memorialize and, and be in remembrance of, of this, of the Passover, because that's worship. Look at, listen to what he says in verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. So again, we can just stop right there in those verses. And just listen to how beautiful that is. Here's God baking in their culture. This generational continuance of passing on the goodness of God to the next generation. He's not just leaving it up to them, right? He's telling them, this is what you need to do. And and here's what I think is is truly amazing about this, because it it seems as if the Lord is just kind of, he just builds right into the, the DNA of our own children this curiosity to ask what and why. Children ask a lot of questions about everything, trust me. I get that multiplied times six. They ask a lot of what's and they ask a lot of a lot of why's. They ask a lot of, they'll ask a lot of questions. They're naturally, they're inquisitive. And by God's mercy, he created them to, to be so. And in God's created order, what, he's, what has he given children to answer those questions but parents? He has given them parents. And this institution, this family that God created, parents and children, is for the glory of God and for human flourishing. I can take many side notes there, but I'm not. But parents are there to answer those questions. Why, Mama? Why, Daddy? And it's... Some of you haven't had kids yet, and some of you have had, you had children... You've already had your children, they've grown up, and you're going to remember this. But I, I, I know those questions. I get asked those questions. 
Like this is like a self-fulfilling prophecy in my own, in my own family, right? Every, every time, like it, it's not a, not a time goes by that we have the Lord's Supper, not one of my children, particularly the, the little ones, is what's this? We're in their own little selfish, sinful ways. They're like, oh, I want some of that juice because they like juice. But in that, right, it's, it's us being able to think God has put us there to be able to explain to them and to show them the what and the why. Parents that, that your children have grown up, do you remember that? Do you remember doing that for, for your children, explaining them the what and the why? God is it's like he's, he's built into their DNA to ask the what and why. He has ordained it in such a way then that as parents, we get to show the glories of Jesus Christ to them by answering that question. And we answer it always the exact same. Not the deliverance out of Egypt, but the deliverance from our sin, that the blood of Christ has been shed on the cross. And the point of that is to, is to do what? Is to bring them along. To show them the gospel. That by, by God's grace alone, that, that one day, Lord willing, they too will come to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that in our meal that we take together, that God has ordained little sojourners among us. Little, little people, little natives of Statesboro that are, that are with us, but not of us. And they, they gather with us, and we get to take the little cup, and we get to take the little bread, and the whole church is doing this dramatic act in front of these kids, and they're probably thinking, man, this is weird, so i got to ask my parents what's going on here. And we get to do this whole drama before them because these little eyes and these little hearts, they are watching their mommies, they're watching their daddies, they're watching their grandmas and their grandpas do this, and they're going to ask why, and they're going to ask what. Now, I'm preaching this point pretty heavy because this means a, tremendously a ton to me. Because God uses that as a witness to bring along the next generation so that they too would experience the great joy of knowing and following Jesus Christ and having their sins forgiven. And so no wonder at verse 27, at the end of it, it says, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. They bowed their heads and worshipped. This is what God was doing, fulfilling the purposes to deliver his people so that they would worship him. And again, these meals of remembrance is linked to worship. The point of memorial and remembrance is ultimately about the praise and adoration of God. When we, re when we are reminded of our sin and where we remove the leaven of our own hearts, what instantly happens once we remember the good news of the gospel, knowing that once we confess our sins, we are forgiven, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse all, all righteousness. What happens? But worship and praise to the God who has provided, to the God who has fulfilled our needs and has removed our guilt and given us the forgiveness of sin. Worship to focus on the glory of God. In a very weird and profound ways, you've understood that when this happens, you understand that you are the recipients of the benefits and the blessings and the joy that you weren't going looking for, but you got it anyways from the Lord. In the Lord, he gives back to us again and again what we do not deserve, things that we do not expect, the blessings of joy through worship. And as the text closed in verses 28, verse 28, it says, it says that the people went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. What goes right along with worship but obedience? Now, obedience is not something that we see often in Israel. And it doesn't last very long in the Old Testament, but when it does, we should take special note. Because again, it's linked to worship and remembering. The, the catalyst of our obedience is not, 
the, is, is not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying to be better. And, and trying to conjure up a, 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 a stronger will. The catalyst of our obedience is not pulling up ourselves by our bootstraps so that we would pray harder or, or, or read our Bibles more or gather the church more, abstain from sin. The catalyst of our obedience is driven by the grace of God, which is why we worship. And that's why the Lord tells us to be reminded of these things as much as possible. Because grace is what drives our obedience. I think if we, I think we all could confess how easy it is to forget. Not just to forget the little things in life, but also forget really important things. Like, don't forget Mother's Day is coming up. But more importantly, we forget the gospel. Daily struggle with sin just proves how short-minded sometimes we can be. We need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded often. We do not have a seven-day feast once a year, although that would be pretty cool, where you would go feverishly clean out your house of all the leaven. You would go find all the little packets of yeast and throw them away or get rid of all your Wonder Bread and Publix Italian bread and try to get rid of all of your house and, and you pick up just unleavened bread and you just eat unleavened bread with your meals to memorialize the hasty departure of Egypt. We, we do not have a seven-day feast like that. But we do gather every seven days as the church of Jesus Christ. And corporately, we are remembering and we are memorializing, as, we, as I've already said, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And why? Because, brothers and sisters, that is our living hope. We do not take unleavened bread in the, or, or excuse me, we do take unleavened bread in the Lord's Supper, though. And the Lord's Supper to us is a memorial which represents the body of Jesus Christ who is sinless without leaven. He was sinless, sacrifice given for his people. And why? Because we need to remember the sacrifice of our Savior. So brothers and sisters, remember him, remember our Savior, and beware of the leaven of sin that all, and always remove it from your hearts and from your lives. Remember him, remember our Savior, and turn toward him in obedience and worship. For we know that that brings great joy. And all of God's people say, and amen.